Welcome to Pros and Cons, a podcast by writers for writers, brought to you by Precipice Fiction. Precipice Fiction would like to acknowledge the people of the Eora and Dorad nations as the original custodians and storytellers of the land this podcast was created on. Hello all you wonderful people out there in podcast listener land. Um, Just a little spoiler warning on this one, Uh, we are mentioning a couple of IPs where we will explicitly be uh, doing spoilers for both the book and the movie, in particular The Shining and Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep slash Blade Runner. So if you are a little spoiler squeamish, uh, as I put it, uh, you may want to turn off now. Uh, Also, we've Probably, in fact, we definitely have missed uh, a few adaptations. So if there's anything particularly heinous or fantastic, please feel free to click down in the contact form there and let us know. uh, And we will read it out on the next episode because, yeah, we want to hear from you. Uh, That's all. And on with the show. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the next line. Yeah, yeah. Hello (laughs) and welcome to Pros and Cons, uh, the podcast for writers by writers. I am your host, Alex. um, And... And with me today, we have several other people who I will introduce in a second. Uh, but first, the topic we're going to be discussing today is uh, adaptions, text adaption, adaptions from one medium to another. Most of them are books to movies, but we do have a few different uh, variations on that too. But before we get into the meat of that, uh, yes, I will have everyone introduce themselves. Uh, Hi there, I'm Paddy Boylan. I'm a creative writing teacher, bid writer, which is a kind of technical writer, editor, and increasingly fiction writer i'm putting more and more time aside to write fiction and it feels really good getting back on that hi uh, my name is matana lu i write fantasy and horror in my spare time i teach english to high schoolers for a living and i also do some editing work on the side hello i'm phoenix rig i'm a freelance editor and founder of bent light writing which is just um It's a freelance editing house, which has a focus on authenticity reading and all that good stuff. I'm also an agented children's author, so yeah, do a lot with children's literature and yeah, fiction, fantasy, all that good stuff. Uh, And my name is Alex Eldridge. I run a guitar school in Sydney. That's my bread and butter. And uh, I'm also a writer. Um, I have recently put out a short story uh, with the the fiction edition edition of the big issue which i'm quite uh proud of but usually uh, other than that i write uh horror and commercial and uh, literary fiction um yeah and that's it so today uh the subject we're going to get into is adaptations and i was thinking about this the other night as i was watching a movie which i'll get into um and i was going through this movie Uh, the movie is annihilation um it's based on a book by jeff vandermeer uh, really, really good movie, really good adaptation. But I, as I was going through it, I was going, you know, this actually doesn't hit any of the beats of the book. It's it has some. It's it's vaguely the same. The characters are vaguely the same. You know, added one, taken one out. Um, but yeah, this is fundamentally very different. Um, but it's still good. It might even be better. Um, and I was just, it just made me think. Well, what is it that makes a good adaption? How uh, an mm. adaptation? Let's mm. let's say adaptation. What is it that makes a good adaptation? Adaption? Adaption. Ad- yeah, adaption. and adaption. That's a lot. <laughs> that's, that's definitely that's definitely syllables. You you definitely said it. <laughs> I definitely said it. It was said. It is a word. Yeah. Uh so let's let's go around and talk about what mm. we think it takes to make a good adaption or adaptation. <laughs> well, when you mentioned annihilation, um I've I've haven't read Annihilation, but it's been on my read list for a long time because I've seen some good. blogs and people just talking, people whose opinions I really respect, saying if you like weird science fiction and weird fiction, Vandermeer's stuff is such a wonderful example of that. I've read Born, his book, which I thought was crazy and deeply strange, and Annihilation is meant to be even stranger. I saw the movie of Annihilation. Um, I haven't read the book. The movie was weird. It was really weird. Yeah. And it captures that yeah. sense of the uncanny. And oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, did I love the movie? I don't know. I thought it was cool, but I thought it was a bit messy. Alex, do you, you've seen both. Do you think, even though it didn't follow the narrative exactly, that it captured the spirit of the book? Because Vandermeer's work definitely has a certain vibe. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. I think that's why I liked it because it, it was clearly the work of someone who'd gone, okay, cool. I really like this, this IP. Um, but I want to 
make it more effective for visual medium. And it's got all these really cool things like it affects in terms of this. They're in this place called the shimmer. Um, mm. And there's literally this shimmering the whole time, uh, like this, this sort of weird oil, you know, that oil slick kind of rainbow effect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's got yeah. that all yeah. over it. And that... not that I've taken acid, but it's like that sheen that I hear people see when they <laughs> yes, take acid and yes, everything takes on a sudden sparkle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. Exactly. Um, yeah. But I, th- I feel like it, it hues very closely to that, that spirit, if not the actual events. And I think it's, it's kind of better for it because if you tried to do a direct representation of that particular uh, book, I feel like it, it might be a little, little hammy or a bit shoehorned in. When we say good adaptation, it might depend on what we mean. Like I'm going to look at um, Blade Runner a little later. Uh, the film has very little to do with the book, but it's a wonderful movie. So is that a good adaptation? I don't know. Probably not, but maybe something could be a very faithful adaptation and really accurate. And in that sense, someone who loves the book might love it. Someone who hasn't read the book might think, ah, I don't know about this. Maybe the best middle ground is something that captures the spirit really well, but then changes it as needed to make it a good film. Yeah, yeah. because the mm. medium the medium has its own necessities. I feel I'm going to say something kind of pretentious sounding, but I think it requires... We're all about a... that. You're in a writer's group, man. Yeah, we're here for it. But um, it it requires. I feel like it needs like the director needs to have fluency in the story in the sense that it's like if you're giving like a speech, I feel like speeches work way better if you don't read note for note, but rather read the speech, understand what it's trying to say, and then simply talk. Like look out at the audience and give those mm. points that come back up. So I feel like it takes the the director reading the book and finding genuine inspiration in it. Like, I love this premise. I love the concept. I want to make things with this same formula. Like, I want to take my run at it because, and they find that inspiration in it and they see it happening in their own way. And I think that's where you get really cool adaptations that really don't hit it beat for beat, but they don't need to because they captured from that other angle. But it's like, it would almost be like the director going to the author and be like, what do you think of this? And then it'd be like, I would want the author to equally feel like, ooh, yeah, that's cool. Run like run with that. They don't necessarily obviously have yeah. to have that conversation, but it's that feeling of they're both making the same story. Um, I'm really glad we're talking about adaptations because I think in today's world of IP obsession, it's yeah. such an important topic mm. because in many ways, the strongest aspect of an adaptation is also the Achilles heel of an adaptation. And that's mm. the expectations. A lot of the time you have an existing yeah. audience. Now that means it's easier to get butts in seats in the cinema, yeah. but it also means that you have uh, tougher critics out there. Mm. And sometimes that means that you could not do certain changes that are reasonable to make because of the format. Because the you know the the crowd is going to be upset the 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 audience the loyal fans are going to be upset about your changes. Um, a classic example of that is in the in the third Lord of the Rings, um, the Army of the Dead. Has everyone here watched Lord of the Rings? Uh, yes. the, the Return of the mm-hmm. King. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> the Army of the Dead is classic because Peter Jackson has infamously really hated them. He really thought it's silly in his grim, realistic war scenes to just have an army of ghosts come in, and he was really pushing back against it. But eventually, enough producers kind of convinced him. Apparently, like man, you can't just take out the army of the dead. The fans are going to slay you. It's a big piece. Uh, so, yeah, that's just one part of it. So in a way, I think that you kind of need to have this perfect storm for a good adaptation. I think what Patty said is really true. You don't have to do it word for word, but you do have to love and understand the source material so that the mm. choices and decisions you make about the changes come from a place of respect for the source material. Mm. And think, knowing what could be best for that format. It's a great yeah. analogy too. I'd like to point that out. The the like the idea of having a speech and learning it so well that you don't need to read it. I think that's a really, really strong. Yeah. So you probably all heard that um Tolkien's, I don't know if it's grandson or son, but his estate, whoever holds his estate, mm. was really unhappy with Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films. Oh, really? I haven't seen them. Um, yeah, and he said that Tolkien would have hated this. He would have like, really? you, you are, you are, I don't oh, want to wow. say, how can I re-put this? Yeah, You're ruining surprising. his work and his legacy. Um, That's surprising. Phoenix, you read it recently again. Yeah. What, what do you think? 
I did not read it recently Does again, it? but I <laughs> no the I, Hobbit. What's no 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 not none of it. But Who's um, it? sorry. No, it's fine. But I don't. What I will say is, I don't think I would have read the Lord of the Rings had I not first seen the movie. I don't think I would have really known about it as much. And I feel like that's something. One thing I'd really quickly like to throw out, though, and this is like a little bit off topic, but it just blows my mind. A, a while ago, I was watching Harry Potter. And, you know, like the Warner Brothers logo comes up and you hear that classic like Harry Potter theme. The yeah. fact that that theme yeah. did not exist when the book was first written is wild because that song is so <laughs> just like so heavily associated yeah. with yeah. The, the Harry Potter yeah. world. It's, now. Great it's theme, wild yeah. to think that someone took yep. the books and f- made that whole cloth like, all right, yeah. let's we got these themes. We got this stuff. And then they make that song that's now a staple of Harry Potter. That that doesn't yeah, exist. You don't hear that when you read the books, even though you do kind of now. That's good composition. Yeah. yeah oh, it's yeah. an amazing composition. To follow that line of thought very vaguely, um, do we think <laughs> it's possible for a an adaption to surpass the source material? I mean, is it... Um, I, I certainly have an opinion on this, hmm. but is is it... <laughs> if we are looking at something in the spirit of, uh, you know, the, the original thing and going like, okay, well, what's this about? What are the building blocks here? What can we do with it? Is it hmm. possible for a... Um, for a film or a video game or a uh, even a novelization, theoretically, hmm. to take that spirit and uh, re-adapt it and remake it and make it to even a superior level. And I can I can only really think of one, maybe two, um, but I do think it can be done. What do you reckon? I don't see why it couldn't. It seems perfectly plausible. I just can't think of any examples. And I'm sure I've seen something. I might not even know that it's an adaptation, but why not? You wouldn't say Blade Runner? No, I wouldn't. Uh, that oh, seems like a good time to talk about Blade oh, Runner. Yes. Would it yeah, be too much so. of a tangent? Okay, oh, so, no, no, I think it's good. I think it's good. I, I don't see why not, even though I can't think of an example. But my question, like, if something, if the source material isn't great, I don't know why you would adapt it, unless maybe you can see nuggets of greatness in there, or you read mm. it and like, there's things in here, but I see what they could have done differently. I think the original book of Blade Runner is great. Alex, I know you don't like it. I think you think I didn't say pretentious. I do like it. I do like okay. it. I just okay. don't think it's quite as good. Sorry, I'll, I'll let you continue. That's okay. No, and fair. It's just very different. Um, yeah. Blade Runner is a completely different film to Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? It's got some similar themes as a guy hunting androids, but really that's about it. That's fine. And the book, the movie is its own thing and the movie is great. I think the book is its own thing. The book is great. I think it's hard to compare the two. Um, incidentally, <laughs> Blade Runner the movie got its name because the Hollywood studio had had this script for Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep kicking around for so long that the script kept mutating and producers made changes here and changes there. This is my understanding. If, if I've got this wrong, listeners, please let us know. But by the time it finally, they're like, yeah, let's pick this thing up. It had so many like lines slash through it and margin notes that it wasn't even the same book. And because then they're like, do Android stream electric sheep? That doesn't make any sense that we can't sell that name. Yeah. Why don't we just call it? Uh... And the producers look around their studio. There's another science fiction <laughs> film script lying around. Johnny Lamp. No, called the Blade Runner. <laughs> and they're like, beautiful. Let's use that. That's so good. Blade Runner has nothing to do with that movie. Imagine being the <laughs> guy no who blades. wrote that that movie, that film. There are no blades. Yeah, there's no blades and very little running. And only like <laughs> a, not even that much it's, running. Like yeah, they run, but there's, there's not, not a much. Lot of running. Not a lot of running. blades, honestly. I, I yeah. don't recall seeing any blades in it. I don't remember what my point was, so Alex, um, please move on to someone else. I do want to uh, discuss this a little bit. I think uh, Blade Runner is the... And and being a big fan of Philip K. Dick's work, uh, yeah. I, I don't think Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is a bad book by any stretch of the imagination. There yeah. are parts of it that I would excise. There's yes. a specific uh, part where the, the mystical there's a guy stuff. who's hooked up to a machine and he's doing basically this this like spiritual quest where he's like climbing up this mountain. And it's not terrible. I just think it drags a little bit. Um, I think that that improves it through concision. But more importantly, the end of the movie, uh, the android gives itself up as opposed to being, you know, hunted down. And I thought that was much more in the spirit of what should have happened. I, I felt much more satisfied by that denim mm. denim than I did uh, from reading the original book. And that's why I think it's the superior adaptation. But I can't really think of anything mm. else. 
Yeah, um, I've had people tell me that they prefer um, the the movie Stardust to the book Stardust. Hmm. Um, huh. There are a few scenes in the movie that, well, I had one friend say that there was just a scene that felt really fun and playful and the book felt kind of lacking without it. And then Lord of the Rings, I will say the um, there were some decisions the movie made that I heavily agreed to while re- reading the book. Like specifically all the stuff with Tom Bombadil, it was just like thematically completely adjacent. And it was like, right. I don't even know what you're doing with this stuff. This is like, <laughs> it exists in a little bubble. You can literally remove all the Tom Bombadil stuff and completely understand the story without skipping a beat. And that's what right. the movies did. Oh, yeah. And I was right. like, all right, you know what? Fair. Like, or, like it, it works. Um, yeah. But but I will also say that it's a weird kind of like um, chicken before the egg thing, because who knows? Like, I saw the movies first, so that kind of became my official canon. So I'm more likely when reading the books to relate to the scenes that feel more like my canon so when i'm bumping up against things that weren't in the movie it has a kind of queer element to it um kind of implicitly that being said there are other like obviously character insights and things like that that i did very much so jive with but there were scenes that weren't in the movies that i was that kind of felt alien to me and there is kind of that meta aspect to it that i kind of wanted to put out there as well before i say which adaptation i think has slightly surpassed uh the source material i just want to say that one of the things that a lot of adaptations have to deal with is the b plot in books you don't necessarily need a b plot but in a movie if you convince the actors to sign up you got to give them screen time especially if you adapted your book into a tv show can you give us a definition of what a b plot is a b plot is so we got the A plot, which is the main objective, usually with the main protagonist. And the B plot is usually what happens when we turn the camera away to see, oh, what's happening meanwhile in the other side of the town. Uh, the, even in a, you know, in a sitcom, you have it, you have the main issue and then you got the side issue in an episode of Seinfeld. Maybe the main one is Jerry's trying to get a job and the B plot is George trying to get a girlfriend or something like that. But it would kind of happen at the same time, less screen time for the B plot. That is definitely something that adaptations have to deal with. And mm. usually they have to conjure their very own B-plot because it didn't exist. And they mm. want to flesh out time for the characters. Mm. With that being said, uh, the choice of adaptation I really like is kind of cheating because it's a three-way adaptation. And that's the Witcher series. Oh, It's uh, the books turn into the games, turn into the series, which is a series which is heavily influenced it's- by the games. It, and follows closely the books, but definitely lives in the shadow of the uber popular games. You cannot ignore them. And I like the books. I do think the game is a better experience from a storytelling standpoint. Interesting. And I do think that the TV show, by being forced to create the B plot, has actually outdone some of the stories, especially the first season, which is an anthology of stories about Geralt. I liked Uh, what they did. It was a bit controversial, but I think they did very well. That's interesting. Mm. You know, when you say that um, movies are more likely to have a B plot, unthinkingly, I would have thought it's the other way around because in a book, a book is often like a medium that is allowed to meander more. You know, you don't have Mm. to have things happening all the time you can have side tangents because a reader it's a more meditative experience but mm. yeah now that i think about it, there's so many movies that have like a romance plot stuck in or you know a thing with the character's father so that's yeah, yeah i guess that's the b plot coming through very interesting yeah think of like the the phantom menace where they've got like the three things going on at the same time and i, just, I remember seeing it as a kid and just being like there's a lot of stories, like yeah. a lot of things going on. <laughs> I don't necessarily dislike it because the thing with the Gungans is cool, and like I love the Naboo fighter scene and the the obviously the lightsaber um, yeah. thing is very cool. But even then, then I was like, this is a lot. There's there's a lot going on here. Yeah, I remember a lot of the Star Wars movies have that at the end. There's a big culmination, and usually a lot of them do end with a splice between three or four scenes. I remember mm-hmm. counting as a kid. Like I remember just kind of following along and just being like, oh yeah, cool. And then kind of after the fact, it's like. <laughs> That was four simultaneous <laughs> moments that were being shown to me. Oh yeah, wild. Let's go on. Uh, let's let's do our fun little like best and worst adaptation. Oh boy. So oh, boy. <laughs> so 
I'm gonna <laughs> let's let's look at the let's first go through. I think we've talked about the best a little bit. So you can give me. Let's start with the worst. What's the worst adaptation you've ever seen, and why was it the worst? Patty, you were chomping at the bit, champing at the bit. I beg your pardon. Uh, what do you reckon? I robot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> why, Patty? Why, Matan? Have why you read the book? No, but I love some Will Smith. You know, <laughs> Will, nothing. Will Smith's performance was perfectly serviceable. It was a, it was a, it was a good performance. Will Smith is a good actor. Yeah, they took. Yeah. No, please. I want to. I want to hear what you have. No, to no, say. go ahead. Yeah. No, no Baton, just your eyes Baton. betray your real emotions. You know, that's that's what I'm saying. If the listeners are not watching the video, he's giving compliments to Will Smith, but his his gaze is delivering very different emotions. Well, I'm feeling glittering Dirty. rage. Glittering <laughs> rage is how I describe it. Will Smith is not the problem. The problem is they've taken one of the smartest, most interesting book. It's so rich with clever ideas and, and futurism and predictions and real deep thought. Have you guys heard of the three laws of robotics? I mean, futurists and roboticists actually consider Isaac Asimov's three laws of robotics from iRobot when they're seriously designing future systems and AI. Mm. Brilliant. Can you tell us yeah. what those those laws are? Just yes, please tell us what the rules are. I'm Asimov, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll try. And Asimov had an idea that like if we're going to have like sentient robots that are actually interacting with society, they need to be guided by rules in order to not do terrible things under Sounds you know fair. like while thinking they're doing right. But we need yeah. to make them yeah. as simple as possible because if we make them super nuanced, it allows Ooh. lots and lots of room for ah. like technicalities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The, there's just three simple rules, and it's something like a robot cannot harm people it cannot harm itself unless by doing so it would allow someone else to come to harm i'm sorry i don't remember the third one i i should have looked this up before yeah i know i think it's yeah they can't harm people is the big one then they um they can't let people come to harm yes they they can't can't stand by and let someone come to harm yeah and they Uh. can't harm themselves unless it would mean that they won't be able to save someone i believe that's the three it's Uh, something like that it's it's basically Mm. like don't hurt people the third one is interesting yeah it sounds simplistic you You might be like why but the whole book is a meditation on why these laws are important i mean it's it's more than that so he gets into all these case studies of like this is what happens when a robot doesn't have this law it does have this law really cool stuff and the movie is just dumb it's just a big action film and they stripped out (laughs) all of the everything that made that original story original stories because it's kind of an anthology great so it left me like when I came out, it left me thinking, why did you do iRobot at all? Now, so many people and so many young people's yeah. first experience of Asimov is big, dumb action movie. It wasn't even the worst movie in the world. It was fine as far as big, dumb action movies go. But why do Asimov? Why take this incredibly intelligent idea and dumb That's it down? Sense. They should have made their own IP. Because mm-hmm. at, at that point, the movie was so far away that if they hadn't called it mm-hmm. iRobot, but it was exactly the same film, I wouldn't have known it was based on iRobot. Mm-hmm. But it's not like Will Smith fights killer robots in the future. And the and robots look silly too. They're like these big white blue things. And they're just like, they look like they're the CGI of the 2000s. You know? Oh, the CGI <laughs> now, man. I, I still struggle. Like you'd still see anyway, beside the point. Um, yeah, that's a great my... example, Patty. Thank you. Yeah, can I say? Yeah. Uh, can I say mine before Phoenix steals it? Absolutely. I think Phoenix is going to steal mine. I'm yeah, sorry. I have. I have. A <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, it's Dragon Ball Evolution, hands down. Oh. I've heard that was terrible. Oh. You thought I was going to steal that one? I mean, you're in the anime lane. I thought, like, maybe he'll bring it. Uh, why is no. Why is it not bad? even on my radar? Why is it bad? Yeah. Why is vomiting on yourself bad? <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? Have you watched it? <laughs> no, I haven't. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> That's a soundbite. Wow. Uh, listeners, if you haven't watched Dragon Ball Evolution, first of all, Don't. bless you and your life decisions. <laughs> uh, but some of us, you know, closer to our 30s have, have had the pleasure. <laughs> Lucky Gen Zs. But no, it's awful. It's it's just, it's it, it completely twists what Dragon Ball is about. Goku is an angsty emo teenager. He doesn't have any of the things that make Goku lovable. And, you know, it's just, it's just, yeah, let's get an IP. People will come to watch it. You know, action, action, action. Doesn't matter if we understand the source material, that kind of stuff. Mm. 
It's almost like, I mean, it sounds like the same sort of thing as iRobot. They're just cashing in on the name. They're just like, this yeah. is oh, a yeah. big name I that guess. people know, and we're just going to cynically cash in on that while making all our gross producer changes to appeal to our marketing research. And that yes. that's, why, that's why that's why you need the director to have like and the producers to have like genuine inspiration and like really want to create something with it because otherwise it is like they will just capitalize on the fact that oh this exists as a book and has people has a following it makes more sense for us to make a movie with under that IP than spin one up full cloth, whole cloth that nobody recognizes because why not go in with a built-in audience that makes sense financially yeah it's just so, marketing yeah what do you reckon, Phoenix? What's what's your like stinker? This this is actually this was my kind of introduction to movie adaptations of books, and it was kind of cool because I kind of got to see both ways it could go. And that's the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it was the first time I I didn't read much as a kid, so this was the first time I read a book and then went to see the movie. And I loved the movie, but I was a little confused because it was like they didn't do a lot of things that happened in the book. Like I, you know, reading a book as a kid and then going to see the movie, I expected to be like, oh yeah, it's going to be the book, but as a movie. And that's my first time seeing that sort of thing where they did make uh, creative decisions that changed it a bit, but for the better, I loved it. But then a little bit later, there was apparently like another movie adaptation of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, but it was an animated movie. And <laughs> I don't know when it came out, but it was significantly older. And they did pretty much do it shot for shot as the book. They even had like reaction shots that kind of uh, like emulated the sort of descriptions of the character reactions in the book. Like they were very literal. And I, it's kind of like, it was satisfying as a kid because I was like, okay, there are the scenes that I remember. But at the same time, it was kind of like, I see why this is not necessarily the best way to go. Like, this is very, this is kind of awkward, a little bit weird. Have you, have you seen or heard of the, uh, I think it was a BBC series that they, that they did, like a long-form BBC TV series of The Land, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Yeah. Um, as far as I know, it's really faithful. Yeah. Mm. And it's, I saw it as a kid. I never read Land, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but it's great and very, very detailed. I, yeah, I'm going to say I recommend it to anyone that likes Land the Witch mm. and the because it was um pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. And I'm going to say, um, it's not really fair to frame this as the worst adaptation, because objectively speaking, it's not a bad movie. Like, it's very, it's a very good and very highly regarded movie. I Doesn't just make like it a good it. adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm going to say The Shining. Um, what's his uh-huh. name? Uh-huh. Uh, where's my... Stephen uh, King, Alex. I name? believe you're looking. You're looking for Stephen King. <laughs> oh, thank just, you, thank you, Phoenix. I yeah, was actually trying, trying to think of the director. Stephen but... King's good side. By yes. that movie. <laughs> I think that's three Stephen King. Admit it, right? <laughs> who who was the guy with the who made it? He's, like he did full minute. Kubrick. Kubrick. Thank you, thank you. Yes, yeah. yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So really Bad famous uh, Kubrick film. Um, yeah, I'm not even going to say it's bad. I don't think it's bad. I think it's a good movie. I just don't like it because I feel like it. You know that thing we were talking about where, like, you know, sticking to the spirit of the source material? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. I think, yeah. think it really doesn't do that. Okay. And I'll, I'll explain why. That's fair. <laughs> so, fundamentally, The Shining, the book, as I understand it, is about a uh, a man who is um, kind of on, on the edge of sanity, but fundamentally a good person uh, who is basically driven into this situation where he goes essentially mad from from like lack of alcohol really like it, it's almost like delirium tremens or, or something um and he he then goes and, and tries to kill his family right that's what it's about it's, it's about a, a good man who is backed into the corner and it's kind of you know that that joke like what's that the, the the killing joke like oh one bad day so it's sort of that idea but a little less um hacky i think but the interpretation Kubrick takes is like, well, this guy's kind of a bit of a dick, you know, mm. like, and he's really just waiting for an excuse mm. to, to, you know, cut loose. Um, and also, I mean, I, I feel like the woman who plays uh, his wife, that her performance is a little shaky as well. Um, there are some really cool things about it, but yeah, like essentially the, um, the ending of it is that uh, Jack Torrance, the, the main, um, I guess, main protagonist and antagonist, sort of winds up frozen to death in the courtyard while yeah. the other people go away. And it's it's a re- like if you've read the book and never seen the movie, that is like That's it kind of chops off about the that at the second third of the movie. And it's really like the second third of the book and you're it's really like really and it doesn't 
It doesn't look into the, the the malevolence of the actual hotel, which I think is the real antagonist. Um, and it just it just took a lot of the ideas about it and and really took it in a direction that I didn't like. So mm. while I don't think it's a bad movie, there are some really cool scenes, like the the um, stairway, the the elevator full of blood is not in in the book. And I think that's a really really cool idea. The creepy twins, maybe not so much. Um, but yeah, there are some very cool ideas in it, but it just comes from a place of like, mm, no, I don't, I don't like what you did there. I'm going to do yeah. this thing. Yeah. What's, and uh, that rubs me the wrong way. It's so such a Stanley Kubrick thing to do, to be like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. Like, no, I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing. Like he was, he was famous for that. He would never yeah. do what producers said or told him. I've never read the book of The Shining and I'd like to, I'd like to read all it's the a good, good book. Stuff. Yeah, that's what people say. But I've I've seen the film multiple times and I think it's a brilliant film. Like brilliant, brilliant. 90 something out of 100. Uh, I love Kubrick. You know, it's a style. But I mean, if if I wonder to what extent if Kubrick had stuck to the original work, he would have been sort of hobbled from his creative vision. Obviously, he had a very specific vision in mind. Mm. And he took the road of like, I'm going to make this lesson adaptation more my own thing using the book as a mm. starting point. It's yeah, it's almost like it's almost like this. Um, I don't want to say like an FU to, to anyone who knows the book, but like there are things that happen in it that are almost OK. So, for example, one thing that really sticks out at me is the um, the janitor who comes back. I forget his name, but basically mm. He goes away and he, he has this uh, mind. You're talking about the Danny. chef, I think, the nice guy, right? The uh, the, guy. Yeah, the chef. The, he's like, he's a it's, caretaker. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, you're right. Right. you're right. He is a chef. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, so he has this mind connection with, with uh, Danny um, yeah, shiny, and he yeah. hears Danny calling to him and he comes back. Um, yes. And in the book, he actually survives and there's this really nice epilogue where he's he's like living with, you know, he's he's kind of uh, rehabilitating the the son and the um, mother as well. And it's yeah. actually really heartfelt and I really like it a lot. It's one of King's better endings. Um, and in the movie, he, you, if anyone's seen the Simpsons episode, he comes up and he's like, I'm here, Dan. And Jack just turns around and like full sail shoots him, like just takes him out. And it's just like, well. What was the point of him even being in it? So it's almost like, ah, I thought, I thought I was, he was going to be the savior. And it, it, you could call it like a bathotic moment or something, and that's fine. But it just felt a bit like, ah, see what I did there? And I'm just like, yeah. I, I, but I wonder how much of that is because you've read the book. Like, I well, wonder yeah, if you have read the book, yeah. And that's a good question. Right now, that's a good question. I really um, want to. But it feels like it flies sorry. in the face of it rather than just necessarily mm -hmm. doing something different, which is kind of my point. Mm -hmm. so, sorry, but I really want to touch on on two points that Alex made. And I think that Alex, I was I walked into this ready to defend the movie, but you you made some really convincing two arguments, but they're okay. very separate. So the thing about the ending, him freezing instead of what happens in the book, which is vastly different from that, and honestly a lot more exciting. That feels like a budgetary production could kind of explain that you know runtime yeah, we don't have time for a third act when all of this is happening with the board i can live with that but what do you said about the first bit no that's the soul of the movie because jack in the book is not a despicable piece of crap he's he's troubled he's deeply troubled but jack nicholson does an amazing performance he's terrifying but at no point in the movie you feel like he's a good guy not even at yeah, the you don't start. like him not even you're just waiting for him to snap and you kind of blame him not the hotel right yeah but totally. in the book it's a like, different villain yeah in the book it's really clear this is not jack whatever this this thing is jack was the first victim that's it mm. Mm. Yeah. and that's something the the film fails to convey i think Ooh, yeah does it fail to I, convey I it, or does it choose not to convey it interesting i think you're you're right points. patty I think it intentionally, um, not even obfuscates, it just goes a different route. Um, and that's why I want to say that I don't think it's a bad film. At no point do I think, I'm like, this sucks. Okay, the ending I do kind of hate. I, like, the free, like that just annoys me. But I, I think it is actually an excellent film, but it almost feels like, I'm just repeating myself now, but it almost feels like it's like, here's the source material. I'm going to rip it up in front of you. You know, that's, that's what it feels like to me. And that's fine. That is, that is a perfectly legitimate choice. 
Um, and I think it makes for a good movie. I just don't like it. We've talked about how Stephen King hates it, right? Because we, yeah, we should yeah. mention that Stephen King hated he, it. Yeah, he, he really is not. Uh, and he's actually a big uh. fan of even some of his clunkers, but he really did not like that. And I yeah. think it's for the reason that I brought up that it it, it is so spiritually different mm. to the source material that we've got there um, that it is, uh, I think it, it, it really irked him, you yeah. know, and I can see how, how it would do so. And then Stephen King directed a version himself of it, which I think was a made-for-TV version because he wanted to be faithful. And it's uh, what? Mm-hmm. It's, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I, I don't bother. It's it's really bad. No way. Uh, yeah. Incidentally, yeah. if if you do want to see a um, Stephen King directed uh, movie that is actually people hate it, but I I actually really like it. Um, oh my god, what's it called? Oh, it's one from the eighties. It's actually it's with the a killer trucks? cinematography in it. Yeah, with the trucks. I haven't What's seen it. it. Called? Oh, this is going to be. Great. I know the one you're talking about. Uh, no, no, no. Maximum Overdrive. Oh, yeah. If yeah. you haven't seen Maximum Overdrive and you like '80s creature features, you have to see this movie. It's grab I a couple so beers, make a night yeah. out of it. <laughs> get, get the boys around, have some beers. Uh, it's a lot yeah. of fun. It's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but it is a lot of fun. Is it um, like Shark Sharknado bad or like? I don't actually haven't seen Sharknado. Um, it's no, there's like. I think it actually, we're really going on a tangent here, but I, no, actually we're not. We're not because this is an adaptation of a book he wrote. Based so on a book, I, what? I, no, 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 no. Maximum Overdrive is based on a book he wrote. So I am totally justified going <laughs> down this Google rabbit it. hole. Um, so no, it was based on a book he wrote. And if you, if you watch it, there's actually some really striking cinematographic details. Um, there's this one image that always sticks with me that like this, uh, like this kind of, gun that's like framed against against the um the sun and as they're doing this montage sort of anyway there's some quite striking images in it but as a movie in general it's a bit shit i just keep trying to find the book somewhere to read it to see just how terrible it is because it was written in a cocaine induced uh nightmare zone um so yeah watch maximum overdrive if you can and that'll be about the 16th stephen king reference we'll have in this episode (laughs) I just I just want to say that this is this is this has nothing to do with anything at all. But I was just reminded that a movie named Birdemic exists, and I just love that title so much. <laughs> terrible, terrible! Birdemic? Like they made it on like one dollar, probably. It's Birdemic. it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's um, yeah, but that that and that there is a combination of bird and epidemic. So, oh, thank you, yes. thanks, Phoenix. Birdemic. I don't. I don't. It's important. It, you know. But every now and then, I remember that it exists, and I have a good Has, time. Wait, wait, Phoenix. The official name is Birdemic Shock and Terror. Has anyone seen The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock? Because I've read the the short story by Ralph no. uh, Daphne du Maurier. Yeah, that's really good. And I've heard The it. Birds is very good as well. Has anyone mm. seen it? No, not all of it. Mm-mm. Is that the that's the like very classic film with the yeah. what woman the, the, hiding the, the, in a phone booth? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. They're like, oh, yeah. That's that's yeah. the one. Uh, <laughs> I need the biggest bird scene you have. I'm uncomfortable. No, that's Wait. too big. <laughs> Patty knows what I'm talking about. I what actually don't, but I'm smiling. <laughs> uh, there's there's a Simpsons episode where Hans Molman is in yes. the telephone booth, and he's like, I need the biggest bell of bird seed you have, and then it, he pauses for a bit, and then he's like, No, that's too big. <laughs> 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 what it's, is happening it's classics <laughs> podcast going off the rail we need to re-rail uh, okay need to re-rail. Uh, i'm sorry <laughs> uh, what we're talking about people doing adaptations where the spirit is kind of missed um and like yeah. patty what you were talking about with irobot that actually happened one very kind of old example of this is um frankenstein by mary shelley um, apparently the so the I just finished reading the original version and later movies as well as I think there was a stage play that came a little bit later that initially kind of bastardized it but I might be remembering it wrong but really like people read it and the thing they took away from it was not this sort of like um, you know some forsaken being coming into existence that's really like struggling with finding their place in the world the thing they took away was like whoa someone made a monster out of dead dead people parts that's wild and like they wanted the action monster movie and so like later adaptations of it leaned into that and mary shelley actually went and wrote a later edition of the book that was leaning more into that like 
just sort of Frankenstein's monster as a monster and that sort of thing Uh um but but now when you seek out the original you will find the original original because people kind of preserved that version that was more artistic and explored some kind of heavy topics and things like that I'm surprised that she did that it feels like the sort of thing that an author just would never do yeah yeah I'm curious Mm -hmm. to know why but so much less interesting you know mm-hmm. is is that like the 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 Boris Karlov version you took like the classic Frankenstein is that the like the movie version you're talking oh about? no I don't know I'll have to I didn't know there I... is a classic Frankenstein movie like uh oh yeah, yeah an yeah, iconic yeah like in the 60s I think like early 60s yeah. I've never seen it yeah but the the version of the book I had had a whole um like after after an afterward where some some historian was explaining it or something like that mm, and that's yeah that's very cool it'd be cool this. to read that original well that secondary version and be like seeing her just like alex maybe it. you'll mm-hmm. know because i know you read it yeah. uh is dracula uh loyal to the source material like the the og dracula uh which adaptation know? yeah which... is there any that is super loyal to the other um yeah yeah i mean yes most of them are like it's it's just it's kind of really this story in two parts it's like the 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 beginning bit which is jonathan harker's diaries and stuff and then this secondary sort of section which i don't like as much it's still in london uh in london where they're like hunting him down it's it's very detective-y almost but yeah most of them most of them hew pretty close to it you said that word so many times today uh but they they, they they defeat dracula with (laughs) by eating a nutritious breakfast the number of yeah. times they talk about uh, <laughs> the importance of starting your day off right and like uh you know getting a good meal in you yeah they talk yeah that's, not, that's look, what... look at these british people <laughs> defeating vampires by getting a i, I find it lovely i think then. it's beautiful it's very nice. i think it's beautiful some british muffins you know fix yeah mm-hmm. fix a everyone loves a british muffin oh i got a quick question which i'd like to ask you guys like Please. you've all seen the hobbit right the the films yeah, yeah. have you all yeah. read the book yes yes, yes. I actually no. haven't seen the last film because the the second last film yeah. was piss. And I'm like, no. <laughs> the third last film that's my uh... still is the same piss, just left over time. Uh, <laughs> same, same flavor of piss. I've been talking about I'm this just, for a while. <laughs> I'm just a, I'm not a fan of any of them, really. I've never read the book. I've never read any of Tolkien's stuff, so I'm not particularly like obviously I know Aww. he's great, but I don't, I don't feel any attachment to it. And I. I kind of like the films. Like I think I might be the only person. Well, that's in okay. If, mm. if yes, I yeah. wiped your there memory, if I wiped your memory of any memory, sorry if there's anyone vegetarian or vegan listening. I'm if vegetarian. If I wiped your memory of steaks and beef I'm, and chicken, I don't know. I'm vegetarian. And then I gave you, and then I gave you tofu. You'd say, "Oh, I'm, that's great." There's nothing. I'm another. deeply offended. <laughs> I'm, I'm outraged that you would say this about my people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I don't. Um, but like, if if you guys hadn't read the book. I mean, you can't imagine it because you haven't read the book. Do you think you might think like, oh, yeah, that was a that was a fun, that was a fun role. Let's compare it nah. to the Lord of the Rings, no. then, shall we? To the other movies, that's the problem. Well, it's just different. It is Peter Jackson. It is Peter Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he he made it almost under duress. Well, not under duress, but he was like, I don't really want to do this, and they're like, Come on, oh, okay. money, you know. <sighs> um, yeah. But I'll tell you what. No, like having said that, The Hobbit is is one of my favorite books, and it is. Um, I still can pretty confidently say nope that those movies that I saw, the two that yeah. I saw, didn't like them. I can barely yeah. remember anything about the first one. The second one, what I can remember, I hate. Um, and I think I'm a pretty it's a pretty good gauge of like, hey, is this good as a movie? Is this good as a piece yeah, of okay. And okay. I can pretty safely say, like, <clears throat> nah, bro. Also made me feel fortunate that the original Lord of the Ring movies came out good because yeah. it just makes mm-hmm. you feel like look, it's literally the same director, same studio, same same actors for yeah. even some of them, and it uh, just you need a perfect storm, really. Uh, <laughs> in the case of the Hobbit, though, there is a lot of things that uh, they made some decisions that I felt were pretty forced. Like I was, I've watched some stuff on it, but also like one of the main things is that the Lord of the Rings, the source material is. huge huge you kind of need yeah. a trilogy to do it mm. for the yeah. hobbit movies they kind of forced uh, a trilogy to make it mirror the lord of the rings more or that's what yeah. i think anyway but anyway yeah, the yeah. source material is like a 200 sure. a 200 page book and they needed yeah. to fill a trilogy with it so naturally they come up with a bunch of side plots a lot of filler all these things it's and there's, a, there's actually there. a whole Wait. huh they get the I, silmarillion I, I, in there a little bit don't they uh, touch oh, it. I, I just 
I wanted to to ask Phoenix, if, do you think it was a wise decision to split the last Harry Potter movie into two? Uh, yeah, I and recently they did that with um, Hunger Games also did that with the last oh, one. Oh yeah. yeah, that one was actually I Twilight. It's it was a trendy terrible. thing back then. Yeah, it was. Harry Potter, I thought did it well. Um, Hunger Games, the last two movies, I didn't like at all. I feel like. What it, it really was me discovering that what I liked about the Hunger Games, ironically, was what they were trying to stop, which was the Hunger Games. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I didn't like the yeah, last yeah, totally. two movies. But yeah. um, that sounds like a perfect book. But the um, with the Harry Potter movie, it does feel like the case of like there was a lot in there and they wanted to do it justice. Whereas on the flip side, you have like the second book, which like the movie zips through a bunch of stuff because they have to get through so much so quickly and they still don't cover everything. So it's like, we're going to really do it. It felt like they gave it space to do it justice. And I felt like they did with the last two movies. Because that's, that's just maybe the last point I really wanted to get through is that I think we're actually possibly in the golden age for adaptations because some conditions have changed. Mm-hmm. And that is the amount of effort, money, and trust that goes into TV shows with big budget nowadays, mm-hmm. which yeah. like in the 90s, even the early 2000s, a show like Game of Thrones couldn't have been made. I don't mm-hmm. believe so. That kind of uh, budget, yeah. that kind of investment, even Harry Potter, which was probably the safest IP since Pokemon, couldn't have gotten the series with that level of, of investment in it yeah. the way that it could today and is getting today. So I think that because of the episodic nature of a lot of books, you know, you got chapters, movies are actually not the natural best fit to adapt a book. It's actually mm-hmm. a TV show, but TV shows just didn't have the the heavy guns necessary to mm-hmm. do it uh, faithfully. Yeah, yeah, that feels true. I actually think the the perfect medium for a movie is a novella. If you're gonna, you know, uh-huh. uh, if you're gonna uh, transition yeah. something like. Like uh, Apocalypse Now, which I didn't get really a chance to talk about, is effectively just Heart of Darkness. Yeah. uh, Which Mm. is a short, short book. It is technically a novella. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of stuff added in there. It's it's such a wonderful example of being an adaptation, keeping the tone and the feeling, but doing something really interesting with the actual script. Because if those haven't seen, um, it's, was it Arthur Conan Doyle who wrote? No, it's uh, Joseph Conrad. Joseph Conrad, of course. Yeah, my bad. Joseph Conrad wrote a story about going down um, the Congo River, I believe, yeah. in, into deeper Africa. And uh, Apocalypse Now is about the Vietnam War. The characters are on a riverboat going down. The beats and the themes are all Heart of Darkness. It's about yeah. the depravity of man. It's about, uh, you know, the the darkness of colonialism, what lurks behind the veneer of civilization. Yeah, the themes are really well maintained, but they tell a different story and they give it a different name because they're like, yeah. well, we don't want to disappoint the people that are expecting which, A. Which is really cool. A. Like like yeah. basically doing an adaptation between you know, iRobot or something different. Had like that. Yeah, it's it's something. almost the exact opposite of iRobot. Like yeah. it's like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be fa- faithful to the essence of this, but we're just gonna make it its own thing. And they yeah. Yeah. they give credit to the author, like they they recognize it as a adaptation Based of on? that. Well, everyone does recognize it. I don't know if they give credit, but I think it's mm. it, it says at the end credits like based on a story by okay. Just... It's like uh, okay. the the Lion King is based on Hamlet, but it's not an adaptation. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it, it feels if you know both texts, you would be able to say, okay, this is an adaptation of that. Yeah, uh, I yeah. think or plagiarism. The... It doesn't feel like plagiarism. It, it yeah. feels well. I, yeah, I don't think it does. It feels like an interesting retelling. One, one little thing that I think is really cool that I, I wanted to say about The Hobbit is there's like a subculture of movie lovers that do, I think they're called cardinal cuts of movies. And they basically oh. just take movies, the material, the film oh, commercial yeah. material, and they say, this uh, is yeah, how I would have cool. cut it. And yeah, so yeah, somebody, yeah. somebody did that with the three Hobbit movies. And it's basically like, let's just take out all the filler, all the plots, and let's stitch it into one movie. There you have your good movie. Like, because like, was the it, stuff with small... Is it good? Is it? It's pretty good. Like, um, there's some, there's obviously some jarring parts because some of the transitions are not the smoothest because you're working yeah, with okay. commercial <laughs> material that was not cut that way. Sure. But, um, because yeah. you have like the smog scene, which is really true to the book, as well as yeah, the... It's good uh, yeah, as well as the... Uh, Golem, Golem. Yeah, exactly. Those are the you know, it's like those are great scenes because they're true to the book, and that's 
you know, that's what they had to work with. If they made it one movie, I think it could have been great. I um, agree. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to my friend uh Jacob, uh, because he did he did he took on like a hero's task and he did he took all of the Marvel movies, all of them in the Infinity series, and um stitched no it way. together in chronological order, scene by what? scene. Holy shit. What? And it is awesome. It is so awesome. And we should put like, a link to wow. that if it's online. We oh no. If it's, it's highly legal, illegal to put online. Link, <laughs> oh dear. Oh, oh, okay. No, no, no. Just be, yeah, no, we can't put a link. Put a link um, to the dark web. Please yeah. don't cancel us. <laughs> no, he's he's trying to find a way to put it online legally because there are there are legal ways to do it just as long as like the right people get the money and stuff like that. Yeah. But um hmm. Ooh, it's really it, I think we, it's he legal. got in hmm? I, I think it's legal if he's always on the screen and always reacting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he can just do expressions. He doesn't have to talk. Oh it's hell, he could just smile and nod, video. right? It's just a picture, yeah, it's of like, him. Mm. <laughs> looking smug. <laughs> just a split screen of just like the bottom half. That's, him the, being that's like... the loophole, guys. Just oh yeah. god, that's interesting. That's great, and but and... Jacob, excellent work. It's really cool. It's very very cool, and it was an act. It was job, a Jacob. effort of love, and it's beautiful. Mm. Cool. All right. Uh, I think we should wrap it there. Paddy, do you want to read the uh, the quote for us, please? Alex, I would love to. This is by Maggie Steifata. Please Steve edit this. Steve I knew Arta? it. Okay. I, yeah. I know. It's gonna happen. I know. As soon as I said that, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I was he's going to put to the name. Snippity Steifata. This is a quote by Maggie Steifata. It goes like this. I adore book-to-film adaptations when they're done well, and are more lenient than many readers when it comes to what counts as done well. For me, the most important thing is that the film maintains the spirit of the original book. Yeah, well said. I mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. The important thing is is the spirit. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's that's been the through line of the discussion here. It's like it doesn't really yeah. matter what you do as long as you hew to the spirit or completely neglect the spirit and <laughs> do your own thing, which is also valid to in some instances, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, but look. We are we are Precipice Fiction. Um, I am Alex. This is Matan, Patty, and Phoenix. Uh, Ali and James, uh, who are also part of this collective, uh, were not able to be here today. Um, but we'd ask if you have enjoyed this episode. Um, we'd love for you to give us a review on um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, wh- wherever you are. Um, there's probably a little link you can click and, and give us, uh, you know, a little review that would really help us with visibility. Also, if you're interested in hearing some of our own storytelling, uh, we have a book on Amazon called The New Mythic um, that you can purchase. Uh, we'll just put a link down in the description. So, yeah, feel free to do that. It's got um, six great stories in it. I can say at least five of those are great because I've only really written one of them. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, check that out if, if you're interested in more podcasts. But um, that's going to be it, guys. Uh, we'll, we'll see you next week, You're listening to Pros and Cons, the Precipice Fiction Podcast.